Well, friends, please turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, it would be helpful to have them open because we're going to look at the last couple verses in chapter 5 as well. And uh, and as you're able, um, if you can flip over as well or have marked uh, the passage that uh, Nick Laser read earlier of Isaiah 49. So we'll be looking at that this morning. Covenant children, covenant kids, as your parents permit, would you draw a picture of something that you love doing? Um, something that you might even say defines you in your life. Maybe it's soccer or art or music. But would you draw a picture of that? And as we listen to God's word, I want you to be paying attention to how the Lord describes his people, how he defines us. Because he defines us in a very important way. It shapes our lives. And so, let's listen. Let's hear God's word together from 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Paul writes, Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain, For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. By great endurance and afflictions, Hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love. By truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. Through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we do come before your word. We thank you for it. We ask that you'd help us to discern your truth within in our lives, that we would, you would apply it deep into our hearts, that we might faithfully follow you. So give us ears to hear, we ask, And bless this time, lead us by the power of your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, one of the most defining moments of my college experience, my college years, was something that didn't happen to, that I did, but something that happened to me. (laughs) Have you had those experiences, whether they're in college or another season, where someone did something for you that helped define you or stood out in your mind? For me, it was 
uh, an experience, an encounter with the president of my college. I went to Covenant College, and uh, some of you will know this man, uh, Dr. Frank uh, Brock. Dr. Brock was an amazing man. He, was, he, he is an amazing man. He's smart. He's wise. Um, he owns a candy, uh, candy business, can, which was also kind of fun. But what stood out, what helped me understand things about life, about who I was and about how I'm called to live, was the way he loved me. You see, every Friday, after, around noon after lunch, he would get off from work and he would go around to all of the dorms and he would go and he would just sit and chat and talk. He'd invite us to talk about the college, what was going well. He'd, he'd invest in our lives. He'd pray for us. Every Friday, my freshman year, my first semester, I was becoming shaped and defined by a kind of love that, that stepped out of a presidential office with all of the regalia and, and wonder of being the president of a denominational institution and stepping into a room of someone who was a freshman, who he loved. After my first semester, he stopped doing that. He, he, uh, he disappeared in a sense. And I ran into him one time uh, uh, on campus and I said, you know, Dr. Brock, I really miss seeing you. What, why aren't you coming around? And he got this somber look on his face. And he said, you know, I was going into people's rooms and they were too interested in video games to talk with me. I hear a little groaning in that. It was groaning in my heart. People being so distracted by video games that the president of the college who was in their room wasn't important to them. They were distracted. You know, the Lord God wants us to understand who he is, how he steps into our world. That he loves us in such a way that we wouldn't get distracted from that love. And Paul is, is concerned for the Corinthians. He wants them to understand the love that comes through God in Christ Jesus. He wants them to remain focused in a life and ministry that comes ultimately from following Jesus. To not be distracted. To be defined by Christ's love and work for us. So if you have your Bibles, look with me. We're going to look at this opening verse of Paul having to, or describing what he's at work doing with these Corinthians, with this church. He, he writes in this way in verse 1, Working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Now some people have, have described this section as part of Paul's great defense for his ministry. Uh, remember we've talked about this as we've looked at 2 Corinthians. That Paul is in a sense having to demonstrate why the Corinthians should look to him and listen to his words even though he's planted this church. Uh, there were apostles or, or, or leaders, false teachers that had shown up and, and through their proclamations, their teachings sought their own greatness. And Paul's in this tension place where he's trying to draw them to listen to him by not showing his greatness forward, but drawing them to the Lord and seeing his beauty and wonder 
And so Paul begins this, this section by using this phrase. It's a word in the Greek, but, but it's a phrase working together with him. Paul is saying in this, it's not about me. It's not me that you're ultimately looking at, but I am, I'm working alongside. I am, in a sense, partnered with a God who has done immeasurable grace to you. The ministry that Paul has, is it comes from the Lord. It it's, doesn't originate in Paul. It doesn't originate in his good teaching or his abilities, his linguistic skills, even his credentials or education. Uh, the work that, that he's been given to this church, it's a work that comes by amazing grace in the Lord. And that's what he means in this opening phrase. He's again, he's pointing back to to the section that precedes this in chapter five. So if you have your Bibles and look back at chapter, you'll see these amazing verses and Paul describing what God has done for us in verse 20 of chapter five. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. And Paul's talking about how God has called him to go out uh, to, to proclaim not himself, but Christ, and what is he, he proclaiming? He's proclaiming the appeal that God has made. That there's reconciliation that God desires and wants and has, has formed. How did he form this reconciliation between us and him? Well, it says in verse 21, probably the most succinct and beautiful picture of the gospel of what Christ has done for us. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the great exchange that Martin Luther talks about. Because this isn't a a president of a college or a, a Fortune 500 CEO or even the president of the United States. This is the Lord God Almighty who has stepped down to be with his people. He comes to embrace our world, to step into our world. The Holy One who knew no sin became sin, became defined by sin. Why? So that when him, we might become the righteousness of God. So that in him, we might be defined, not by our sin, but by his righteousness. Seen holy and blameless in the sight of God. You see, the Lord, he comes into our world to know us He knows us in the fullness and the depth of our sin, the sin that sometimes we even refuse to look at in ourselves or acknowledge because it's too hard. It's a depth that we could not pay back. No one on earth except the one, the Holy One himself, Jesus, could save us. He draws near to us knowing all of that to be with us to redeem us, to restore us. And so that's why Paul is urging here. He's appealing. He's appealing with these Corinthians, understand, understand uh, to come alongside, to appeal is to, is to walk with, to comfort, to encourage. 
uh, he, he encourages the Corinthians to not receive the grace of God, the, the wonder of the Almighty Holy One coming into the world to declare us righteous, to not receive that grace of God in vain. See, there's a few ways to understand this. It's kind of a strange statement that Paul makes to not receive the grace of God in vain. I don't think Paul's referring to our salvation. I think he's referring and saying that that God has given us grace. He's redeemed us. He's transformed us in that grace. He's declared and made us righteous. And yet, our lives can be in vain if we don't live out a life that honors the Lord. If we're not living as a recipient of the grace, if we're not seeing the the, the majesty and glory of God and, and his love for us that would give us his own son, then we can live a life in vain, fruitless. It's as if Paul is saying, you know, the Lord has come to be in your midst. He's loved you. He sent his son. Don't get distracted. Don't get so caught up in video games that you miss the Lord. His work and his life, his grace transforming you. And it really isn't about video games. But what is it? It's about our agendas. It's about our desires. Our pursuit of greatness and power. It's... It's our disappointment and even depression at times when life doesn't come our way, uh, when we don't get what we want. It's a life that's ultimately consumed with ourselves. Paul is challenging the Corinthian church to not be consumed with their own greatness, but to look to Christ, to be defined by his grace, to be defined as a recipient. And, And think of what a recipient, if that's the defining characteristic of the church, think about what that does for our lives. As we're constantly understanding not just one-time salvation, but the, the work of the Lord to not only save us by grace and sustain us by grace, but to define us by grace. Well, it shapes everything about us from our worldview and from our behaviors and from our outlook in life. We're being formed and transformed to a new identity, a new creation that lives in light of that love shapes all of who we are. Paul is saying, don't receive it in vain. Don't let your lives be fruitless, but but look to the Lord to be your strength and provision your priority in life. And he's appealing to them as he's coming alongside this church to help them understand because this isn't for a future time. I, I heard a pastor once describe the work of Christ as the world's greatest fire insurance right? And sometimes we can treat it that way. It's about the future. It's about what God's going to save us from, from the judgment of our sins. And it's true that that is a, a reality, but it's for today as well too. It's to shape who we are. In fact, there's an urgency. If you look in verse two, look with me. Paul talks about this. He says, for he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You know, there's beholds. He's saying, look around. This is what God is at work doing. It's an urgent call to examine what God has has set us up in, not just in this day and hour in May 21st, 
but to look at the season of time of God's redemption. He's, he's quoting from Isaiah 49. If you've got your Bibles, turn back there. It's this beautiful picture of God who loves his, his people and, and, and even in loving his people, his people don't understand, they don't live by the defining grace of the Lord. Verse four in Isaiah 59, 49 says, I've, but I said I labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. Israel was to be a light to the nations. Uh, they were to be defined by the work of God and the coming of the Messiah and the promise. But they sought to live their lives in their own strength for their own purposes, to protect themselves. The Lord's calling us to rest in him. The coming day now is here that we would rest in the Lord. The coming of Jesus, the Messiah, has changed the world, that we would look and be defined by his work. A new creation, as Paul would say in, in chapter five earlier. A new creation in Christ Jesus. And this isn't just a preaching ministry, it's a, a ministry of reconciliation, a, a ministry of conforming our lives conforming the way that we work in the world to Christ, to make his salvation known, to be light in the world before the nations. We're drawing people to participate in the reconciliation of Christ. We're seeking to lay down our lives to forgive others, to lay down our wills, so that the life of Christ can be made known. We are to be recipients of the Lord's grace, shaped, fruitful, by laying down our lives for one another and conforming us to the work that God has done. God's doing this today. This is the season. This is the time. This is for us to dwell on it, but he also tells us that we receive this grace to transform our lives, to change us, to be seen, to live in a different way. And, and he, he describes it here in verses three and four. Uh, look with me, he, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry, but as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. Paul talks about this in two ways. Uh, he describes what God is changing us to look like. This is what ministry ought to look like. This is what life in Christ is to look like. First, uh, no obstacle in anyone's way. And second, we commend ourselves in every way as servants of God. Uh, Paul describes it as not putting an obstacle in front of people. And we all know what it's like to have obstacles. The frustration of having a long day's work to pull into a driveway and find a bike there. <laughs> an obstacle preventing you to get where you want to go, where you need to go. But also the frustration that comes with it. Uh, Paul is saying uh, uh, that in and of ourselves, we're to lay down our lives in such a way that we ourselves are not the obstacle from people hearing the grace of God and receiving it. It's, it's that Paul's challenging us to restrain ourselves 
that our lives are lived before others in such a way that people would know and see and taste a bit of who God is. Not see us in our embitteredness and fear. Not see us as predominantly argumentative. That we are the ones who are setting ourselves aside and, and he puts it in contrast here to the idea of a servant. Commending ourselves as a servant in every way. You see Paul's identity. It's not in his greatness. It's in his service. That of waiting on others that defines him. It's what should define us. How do we commend ourselves in that way? Well, we commend ourselves by all the time in some levels. We know what commendations mean. We talked about this a few weeks ago with letters of recommendation, but you know what it's like to commend a server who's waiting on you at the restaurant with a tip or a reference that you give to a good employee for a future employment. It sounds arrogant perhaps to say that we want to commend ourselves to others, but, but Paul's not saying that we commend ourselves. He's, he's saying that we commend the service of God, our lives as servants. Uh, we're not building ourselves up. We're actually looking to show off God. Uh, we're serving him. That's the commendation. Uh, we show it with our tithes and in our actions and in our time, uh, but even our attitude towards one another None of that's easy. None of it's, it's something that we all, all will, will ultimately do because of others, but because of who God is, because of the person and work of Christ, we set ourselves aside as servants. We lay down our lives for one another. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. Be mindful of those around you whether you're in a hospital room and there's a worker there that you may never know or may never uh, understand who they are, but we show kindness to. In our work, we reach out to those who are in need, our neighbors, we're mindful of their needs as well too. Paul's calling us to a service. And be seen in this identity. So how do we recognize this service to God? Again, we often look for strengths for our own way of living, but Paul continues to describe what it means to be a servant of God by describing our situations. In fact, Paul often is in these, these situations. He seems to be recording or sharing all of the various ways he has, has lived in weakness for the sake of of partnering and receiving the grace of God. Look in verse four, a great endurance and in inflictions and hardships and calamities and, and beatings and imprisonments, riots and labors, sleepless nights and hunger. He's, he's shared these things over and over throughout his letter. He's, he's helping us to understand what ministry looks like. It's not always seasons of great joy, but in seasons in which we we have to be dependent upon a God to provide. We're, we're, we're pursuing circumstances for the sake of the grace of God to be servants, even when it leads us to be beaten and imprisoned or sleepless. 
These are moments that are exceedingly hard for us to serve because when we are weak and when we're hurting, when we're sick and when we're not feeling well, we want to make life about ourselves. Uh, how can you take care of me? Um, and Paul is saying, actually, it's even in those moments I'm being challenged to rely upon the grace of God that we are recipients already of his mercy and grace. And so we show forward grace with purity and knowledge, patience and kindness. The Holy Spirit driving us, genuine love, truthful speech, the power of God, weapons of righteousness for the right and for the left. To zone in on that one just for a moment. Uh, the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. These are weapons of righteousness means righteous living. Uh, means opposed to lawlessness. It means that that. We aren't defending ourselves, but in the righteousness of God, we're seeking to lay down our lives in our offensive, the right hand, which is what the weapon of offense would be, and in our left hand, the weapon of defense. It's not our righteous superiority, but it's our willingness to live out righteous, godly love to one another. It says, Jonathan Edwards wrote, the strength of the good soldier of Jesus Christ appears in nothing more that in steadfastly maintaining the holy calm, meekness, sweetness, and benevolence of his mind among all the storms and injuries, strange behavior and surprising acts and events of this evil and unreasonable world. God's grace is to shape us in these ways. I was talking with a prominent pastor in our denomination um, a few months ago. This is a pastor who has a very large church and he was talking about who he was in Christ. And he said, you know, it's interesting, I've come to realize, even though I'm a senior pastor uh, and I, even though I'm a pastor of a large church, the Lord put me in this role because of my weakness. He said, I've got a friend who when they look at, the, at, at God's word and in just a short 15, 20 minutes can see the grace of God and end up rejoicing in his heart by the beauty and wonder of who God is and who he is. He said, in my hardness of heart, the Lord put me in a position where I have to study for hours upon hours to arrive at the same conclusion the beauty and glory of Christ. It's not our positions that make us great in the, in the kingdom of God. It's Christ who makes us great. We are his servants. God not only gives us his grace to transform us, but he gives us his grace so that we would endure See, that's the result ultimately of being a servant of God. That's that's what happens in Christ. We are sustained and provided for by the Lord. If we look at verse 8, you see these very strange pictures, very honest pictures that Paul gives us about what it means to be a servant, how we live now in a world that doesn't understand the gospel, doesn't understand Christ's love, that seeks only its own greatness through strength. He writes in verse eight, we are treated as imposters and yet we're true, as unknown and yet well-loved, as dying and behold, 
we live. As punished and not, yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. Paul is describing this picture of what it means to live in a fallen world still, this season and time in which Christ reigns, in which he's come and he's redeeming all things. He's making all things new. And we as his servants have been transformed by his grace so that we would endure in this world and we would look and live differently. Be seen and treated as an imposter. I mean, you can imagine what Paul is experiencing with this Corinthian church that doesn't know if they should follow him, even though he's planted this church as an imposter, and yet his truth is validated by who God is, by God's calling in his life. He's not concerned to be seen as truthful in a world that doesn't understand what it means to be weak and rely on the strength of the Lord. This is true for, for all of these as unknown and yet well-known and as dying. And then look at Paul set, slows down here. And behold, we live. The pattern of the gospel is that Christ died for us. He gave himself for us. But death did not stop him. He rose and he ascended into heaven and seated at the right hand, a position of power and glory. And he's calling us to continually lay down our lives so that even in our dying, there is life. I mean, that's what he's drawing us to with this word. Pay attention, look, behold, as dying, the world sees us as growing weaker and weaker, dying to ourselves, giving up our own life and will and desires. And yet, that is where life is. That's the life that's in Christ. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 8. He talks about the, the life that, that he had, that foxes have, no, have holes and birds of air have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay down his head. Uh, Christ, he gives up everything, even his own home, to come to be with us. And he ends up dying for us. But death is not the end. It's new life in him. Paul is confronting us, he's helping us to understand that grace is how we endure. Being a recipient of God's work is what we stay focused on because we're ultimately known and loved by God. That becomes the defining characteristic of who we are. Our peace and our greatest rest don't come from the circumstances and the understanding of the world or our own success by worldly standards. It comes by being known and loved by Jesus. And this is the heart of the salvation that he brings. It's not something the world understands. It's something that is timely and urgent for all of us, not just to embrace and receive, but to live out in our lives. And it defines us as servants of the living God. To lay down our lives for him and for one another. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you'd help us not to be defined by the greatness of the world around us that seeks to live life in vain. But Father, that we would be defined by the grace you've given us through your Son, by his work, the immeasurable work 
that we belong to him because of his willingness to embrace our sin and make us righteous. Would you help us to remain faithful in you and fruitful as we focus on the calling to which you've called us, the ministry that you've given us in living out reconciliation and new life, new humanity, restored humanity through your son. Help us to live for your glory and the growth of your kingdom. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.